Well, it's very exciting to be starting this series on Romans. It's, it's uh, one of the uh, famous books of the Bible, and it's long, and it's really important, and it's really central to our faith. And it tells us a whole lot about what we believe as Christians. And so I hope that as you journey um, with me and us um, through this book uh, this year and, and uh, later this year and probably into next year as well, um, that you'll be really encouraged by um, what it has to say because... Yeah, really, it's talking about the essence, the, the heart of the Christian faith. And it starts off by introducing us to the author of, of the letter, who, of course, is Paul the Apostle. Um, and he goes on to give um, kind of a summary, as Diana sort of hinted at, um, or referenced, um, a summary of the whole letter, um, or the essence of what the whole letter is all about. And he says that he's a servant of Jesus Christ and called to be an apostle of God. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced a real turning point in your life where, you know, something happens and then something that's dramatic and then everything's different, you know, after that, after that point. You're a completely new person. Um, I'm a bit sentimental for 90s movies. I know I, we watched uh, the film Emma the other day, Joe and I, Gwyneth Paltrow. Well, it made me feel sentimental for the old, old days of the 90s. Well, another great Gwyneth Paltrow film that makes me feel sentimental about uni days is Sliding Doors, you know? <laughs> a film Sliding Doors. Um, you know, and it's got that idea, that, that idea that something can happen and your, your life can go off on, a, on another direction. She, she drops the ring at the, you know, the train station and, and makes it onto the train and then we follow the, the version of her life where she catches the train and then meets the person and changes her hairstyle and goes one way. And also the film tracks the same character when she drops the ring at the train station and then misses the train and then, and then a whole lot of series of other events happen in her life and she has a completely different hairstyle and she meets a different person and her life completely pans out in another way. Well, the author of Romans, Paul, experienced a dramatic turning point in his life. It's very, very famous. And it happened um, on the road to Damascus. You would have probably heard that phrase, a road to Damascus experience, where somebody experiences a, maybe a, a revelation or something and then changes their life. So what happened to him, he was a strict Jew, a Pharisee, um, and he was so strict about his faith um, that he was persecuting Christians. And then one day, when he was going to Damascus with some other um, servants, um, uh, the resurrected Jesus appeared to him, and he, he could see the resurrected Jesus, and um, the others around him could only hear his voice, and um, they were all freaked out. He was changed forever, and he became a Christian. And, and Jesus said, um, why do you persecute me? And, and, and he fell at his knees and, and his life changed from that point onwards. He became a follower of Jesus. Um, and it was at that moment that he was set apart by God for a special purpose. He was set apart to be what the Bible calls an apostle, um, which were the, the, the people, the, the, the apostles that were anointed by God were the ones who really established the church um, and got it going and also spoke on God's behalf, and, and were the foundations of the church. They were, they were central. They, they actually communicated um, the, the words of the New Testament, for example. Um, and this gospel that they're set apart for, that he was set apart for, is the good news about Jesus, Jesus Christ, that has its origins in the Jewish scriptures, um, what we call the Old Testament. But the content of the gospel 
He's Jesus himself. And that's what I want to talk about now. The content of the gospel is Jesus himself. What about Jesus? Well, in the book of Romans, it says, firstly, it's his, it's his earthly life that he was um, a descendant of David, says Paul. And secondly, who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. So there's like these sort of two parts of his existence that make up the gospel, that the essence of the gospel. His life at one stage, his birth to his virgin mother Mary um, and his life as a, um, a leader of the disciples and his teaching and his miracles, his healings. Um, uh, and, you know, the, 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 the temptation that he experienced in the desert, the baptism he had from John the Baptist, his weeping, at the brokenness of the, the world, he's rejoicing when he's with his friends at parties. The first stage of his life that, that um, Paul is referencing here that makes up the content of the gospel is, is everything that he did while on earth. But the second stage is his death on the cross when he took on the sins of the world and my, your sins and my sins where he laid down his life and, by, and then his resurrection from the dead. And by rising, he was shown to be able to give salvation to the whole world, to all those who would believe in him. This is Jesus Christ. This is the content of the gospel. He is the centre of the gospel. And this is who Paul will be talking about through all these chapters in the book of Romans. Essentially, that's who he's talking about. So if you are exploring the Christian faith and you want to know... What it's about, the place to start is with Jesus. Jesus is the essence. Um, read a gospel, perhaps the gospel of Mark. And read it with someone else. If you've been a Christian for a while, a good thing to do is to uh, examine yourself and to ask yourself, is the essence of my faith, is my gospel, is the heart of it, Jesus Christ? It's easy for Jesus to start off as the main actor, the, the lead actor in your faith drama at the beginning of your faith journey as a Christian. And then later in life, you, you start to push him into a secondary role and suddenly he's, a, he's the, uh, not the leading actor. Maybe the lead character of your faith drama is some, something or someone else. Perhaps a hobby horse issue that you're passionate about actually has become your gospel. Perhaps the center stage, at the centre stage of your faith drama is actually your, yourself, your own feelings. In other words, you primarily think, of, primarily think about how you, you're going and how you're feeling with regards to your Christian faith and worship rather than about what Jesus says or... Or you measure the success and failure of your faith life by how it affects you rather than what you have discovered about Jesus. It's a subtle thing and it's easy for us to all do. We all have idols that we have to kind of look out for and those idols can sort of nudge their way into being the lead character of our faith. If this is you, if this has happened to you, then you need to know that Jesus says this, he says, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice 
and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and lay with me. Jesus wants to be the lead character in your, in your faith life. Well, the second thing that Paul shows us in this introduction to the letter is that the goal of the gospel is faith and obedience. Verses 5 and 6. He explains what it means for him to be an apostle. God, God has chosen him to be an apostle to the Gentiles and the Roman church. Receiving this letter are some of those Gentiles. And to be an apostle has two purposes. Firstly, verse 5, his job is to call the Gentiles to obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. So his mission is to bring Gentiles, the non-Jews of the Roman Empire, to faith in Jesus. Not just simply faith, but obedience that comes from faith. So there's this kind of... Um, you've got to see that sentence as a whole thing. Not um, necessarily two parts, faith and obedience. It's two separate things, but it's a whole thing. So when you commit to Jesus Christ, you then want to be obedient to him. One theologian says it like this. Faith, if genuine, always has obedience as its outcome. Obedience, if it is to please God, must always be accompanied by faith. So we should not make the mistake of separating faith from obedience. We cannot have one without the other. We should be careful not to minimise the role of obedience. Of all the apostles, Paul is the most vocal about faith as a way to come into a relationship with God. But this faith is not towards some vague spirit. But this faith is directed towards Jesus Christ, the Lord. And because he is Lord, obedience to the Lord is tightly linked to this faith. You think about obedience to the Lord. You know, you can think of everyday sort of things, like in Australian federal politics, for example. We often hear about the different factions within the parties. At the moment, in the Liberal Party, we hear about those who are loyal to Turnbull and, and the, 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 the small, very vocal group who are loyal to Abbott. Those party members put their faith in their leaders, their lords, by standing behind them, by advocating for their policy positions and by loyalty. Okay, put Tony Abbott and Malcolm Turnbull out of your mind now. Um, in a similar way, if you say, I'm with Jesus, you don't just stand behind him, you bow down to him. You don't just advocate his policy positions, you live them out. You meditate on them, you teach them to others. Yes, you show loyalty to Jesus. Yes, you smash the idols in your life that you attempted to worship. And you keep your eyes fixed on him. But also you rejoice in the knowledge that when, you're, when your loyalty to Jesus has a few cracks and is showing weakness, that Jesus is actually loyal to you. He is not a fair weather friend. As Paul will say later in Romans 8, nothing can separate us from the love of God. That is in Christ Jesus. Now this allegiance to Jesus Christ is demanded by God from the moment we are in relationship to him. But as Paul will say later in Romans 12, it is something we learn to live out through our lives as God begins his work of transforming us, our minds, so that we can do his will. So you can't have faith without obedience. Neither can you have obedience without faith. Faith is essential for any true obedience you will have heard people say, he's more Christian in his behaviour than most of the Christians that I know. But what Paul will say in Romans is that without the inward commitment of the heart to Jesus, 
this kind of obedience is actually not obedience. What we are talking about here with faith and obedience is a slogan that sums up Christian living. As we read in our Bibles, as we worship um, God, as we pray, as we have faith that gets deeper, that deepening faith will reveal itself in a more consistent and radically Christian lifestyle. So Paul's gospel that he's talking about, that God has set him apart to preach to the Gentiles, is not just about converting to Christianity, but it is also about the transformation of your life. Third thing that I want to say about this introduction you know, that helps us understand the book of Romans is that, is that the essence of the gospel is grace. The essence of the gospel is grace. Verse 8 to 16. So verses 8 to 12 show us an important posture of graciousness that Paul has. You might have assumed that as an important apostle, he might write in an assertive and authoritarian way. But he doesn't. Rather, he is quite humble and diplomatic as he writes to his congregation, the people of whom he has never actually met. This is a church that's become quite well known among in Christian circles because it's in Rome, you know, it's in a big famous city. And Paul says their faith is being reported all over the whole world, which is a bit of an exaggeration because how would Paul know what's going on in the whole world? But he's using his hyperbole for effect. It's uh, certainly true that the location of this church, you, you know, projects, amplifies their reputation around the Roman world. It's like how in Australia we have a bit more of an awareness of the churches in Melbourne and Sydney, let's say, than we do of some of the big happening dynamic churches in rural areas. It's just how it works, isn't it? And Paul hasn't even visited this church in Rome, but he's clearly excited about their existence because he constantly remembers them in his prayers, he says, at all times. And he prays it now, at last, by God's will, the way may be open for him to come to them. He also really wants to visit them because he wants to impart his, a spiritual gift to them, which probably means that he wants to give them some kind of insight or ability which the Spirit has given him. And this will be a gift that will strengthen their faith. Sometimes in your life as a Christian, you will have met people who you will probably start to realise God has given a special gift. Um, perhaps they have a great gift of prayer uh, or of preaching or of pastoral care. Perhaps pastorally they just are amazing. And you know that when you're around that person that you feel blessed by God. Um, some of you who know me well know that I spend a lot of time with um, Nick Corney's dad, Peter Corney, and he's 80 years old now. And for 25 years, he was the vicar of St. Hilary's. And God gave him an extra dose of the gift of leadership and teaching, I would say. And even now, as he's half deaf and you have to repeat yourself three times for, for him to hear you, he can still draw together young leaders around him and people want to engage with him because he has this special gift to impart us to us. And we know that when we're with him, God is blessing us through him. Perhaps this is what Paul is talking about. I'm just talking about, you know, Peter Corney from North Bournemouth. But imagine Paul the Apostle. You know, imagine the blessing that you would have received from him. And Paul has this awareness about himself that God has given him this 
blessing. And he's saying, I want to give this to you. Now, he's not actually just igniting himself here. He's not just saying, I am extremely blessed, so I want to be in your presence. Because he's saying in verse 12 that the blessing is going to go both ways. That you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. What we see here in Paul's posture is that the grace shown to him on the road to Damascus by Jesus Christ that made him believe has also transformed his heart so that he's actually gracious himself. His character is gracious. Not only is the message about grace, but he embodies that message as a gracious leader. Now, some of the Christians in Rome may have thought that Paul had been snubbing them because he hadn't actually yet visited. You know, they're probably thinking to themselves, we are the church in Rome, and Paul hasn't even visited us. He reckons he's the apostle to the Gentiles. Well, surely you should come to us. And so he explains that he's not been ignoring them. It's, it, we don't even know why he hasn't been able to visit them. He writes this letter um, from Corinth, um, and um, he, perhaps he just had a lot to do in that part of the world in the eastern Mediterranean, you know. And, you know, let's face it, this is before public transport and cars and all this sort of thing. Just donkeys we had back then, as we heard earlier. Nevertheless, he was going to make it to Rome. He doesn't want to go to Rome simply to put his personal stamp on them so that he can show up and say, look how many churches that I have oversight for. <laughs> Rather, he's keen to go there because God has filled him up with a kind of energetic spiritual fuel to preach the gospel to many different groups of Gentiles, and he wants to do that for them. These early churches were desperate for the top apostles to come because we're talking, this letter is written in 57 AD, so churches that had existed at that point, they didn't have a New Testament. Uh, they had their Jewish scriptures, and they had maybe fragments of the gospels, bits of the gospels, they had stories that had been passed on from the apostles and witnesses to Jesus. And maybe many of the churches in 57 AD had, you know, their, their father or mother or grandparents were around in Jesus' time. But that's all they had. So they didn't have an authority, a scriptural authority to submit to, which meant that um, when an apostle rocked up to preach, it was a big occasion. It was... So important. We think the church in Rome was, was first planted by some Jews from Rome who Luke refers to in Pentecost, story of Pentecost, which we heard about in the drama before. Um, that it mentions that there were some Jews from Rome there who were converted. We think they probably went back to Rome and started this church. But then there was a point in, um, where the emperor uh, sent all the Jews out of Rome because he was sick of them arguing about Jesus. <laughs> so the people that were left in the church at that point um, were just the Gentile Christians. And then by 57 AD, the Jews were allowed back again. And so by this stage, there was um, kind of two parties in the church in Rome. There were the Gentile Christians and the Jewish Christians. Um, you, you might have heard of Priscilla and Aquila. They were the kind of level of people that had been in the church in Rome, but then had to leave. Where, and then some of them were able to come back. Um, and so, returning to my theme of graciousness, 
There are cultural power plays in this church between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. And as Paul models grace to them, later in the letter he will rebuke both factions for lording it, or trying to lord it over each other. For trying, for the Jewish Christians were obsessed with maintaining the Jewish law, and the Gentile Christians, the majority, had become arrogant. But a church transformed by Jesus Christ will learn not just to teach the gospel, but to live it out, this grace. People will learn to listen to each other's opinions. They'll learn to look for what I call the golden nugget in what people say. You know, when people talk and they say all kinds of things and, you know, it's easy just to dismiss what they're saying if you don't agree. But a gracious person will look for that one good thing that they're saying. It's the golden nugget. And sort of affirm that and not just knock, knock them over, over. Not just pulling people's arguments apart, but just trying to show love to each other. This is what a gracious community looks like. And this is a good lesson for us at Mary Creek to be reminded of, especially um, as we enter into these months approaching um, the, the marriage uh, postal vote. Uh, you know, just think about how much half and half there is at the moment about this in, the, in, um, in our community, not in our community, but in the media, in our broader community there is. And the thing is there are people in this congregation with all kinds of different views on this matter. There are some people who were strongly um, going to vote no. There are some people who are strongly going to vote yes. And there are some people who are just caught in the middle and not sure what to think and how to think about it. And this is a good test for a congregation like ours. You know, can we live out this grace, this gospel which has Jesus at its centre, with a, with a topic like this which can evoke so much unhappiness, We should take our cue from Paul here to have a posture of grace towards each other. At different points in church history, there have been issues like this that have come up. In the 1970s, divorce was the big one um, that caused so much unhappiness. Um, Another one that threatened unity, again in the 1960s and 70s, was charismaticism. Um, So... You know, there was a, a, a period when lots and lots of churches were just splitting up because of their different views on um, charismatic spiritual gifts and, and worship. Even in worship style, people can argue about how you sing your songs even. We've got to have an attitude of grace towards each other. Now, I'm not suggesting that churches cannot have or should not have theological positions on topics. Or that we should aim for some kind of fluffy pluralism where everyone's opinion is the same and counts as much as everyone else's. And, you know, that's a bit blah, isn't it? It's a bit sort of nothing. I do believe in truth. And that that truth is in the Bible. And that that truth is centred on this gospel that Paul is introducing us to in the book of Romans here. Which has as its main content Jesus Christ, whom we have faith in and obey. But we should grow in grace to one another as we examine and embrace this gospel together. And know that as I teach you, I wrestle with the text. It's not like I'm just some kind of robot that is programmed to convey a set of doctrines. Oh, this is this passage. Well, I have to say it this way. That's not how I operate. I, I wrestle. And 
I take my responsibility as your minister seriously that I also actually have to kind of almost guard the gospel or protect it in our community because as you know, just as an individual can take Jesus and move him off centre stage from the drama of your individual's faith life, a church can do the same thing. And so part of my role as pastor, I see, is to go, um, actually, you know, Jesus is the main, the leader of this. <laughs> He's the main guy here. He's the head. If we start to lose the gospel, if, we, if it starts to become a distorted gospel, what happens is the church crumbles. It doesn't last. Or you start a cult. <laughs> I want to finish. Don't be embarrassed about the gospel. It is God's greatest truth. It is the best truth in the world. It is what I base my life on. It is what I depend on. It is what has driven my life up until this point. The content of the gospel is Jesus. The goal of the gospel is faith and obedience. The essence of the gospel is grace. Paul is not embarrassed about this. In fact, he's proud of it. He desperately wants to come to Rome to fulfill his calling, to preach the good news to the Gentiles. And it's not for his personal gain. Let me remind you why he wants to preach, and this is where I end. Verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Amen.